ready to go there, Brother Joe. All right, we're ready to go. All right, it's good to see everyone that's here, and uh, we still have others that are coming in. It's good to see all of you here today, uh, those that have suffered illness. Dennis, I'm glad you're back. Kristen, I'm glad you took care of Dennis. <laughs> Rena wasn't feeling too good as she come walking in today, but, you know, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, it's interesting that uh, our first song today was, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and uh, which uh, we sang 553 uh, in our hymn book, and 554 is a different version. And... Uh, I learned this when I was in England. You had one man that would stand up before the congregation and he would announce which songs they were going to sing. Well, there's no melodies in the English hymn book. The pianist or the organist, whichever they had, would set up and literally play the melody that they were going to sing. So Amazing Grace over there is sung with several different melodies. But uh, what's interesting is even Come Thou Fount is sung with several different melodies. 5-5-4 five, five, goes something like this. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Isn't that interesting? And so it's the same song that we sing, same words and everything, just a different melody. And uh, isn't it great? I mean, heaven's going to be so much fun. I mean, we're going to hear, uh, can you imagine one person announcing a song and we know immediately what melody we're going to be singing from? And not only that, the, over the ages, the melody of music has changed quite a bit. And uh, so when we go back to the book of uh, Hebrew, well, if we go anywhere in the Hebrews, especially the Psalms, they would literally have what they called cant- canting or canticles. So you would have one person that would recite, you know, and then everybody would repeat what was literally that indication that went in. And uh, it was amazing to me to be able to look at it. Well, that's not my subject this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And uh, we want to take a look at this morning the, the vision. Now, last week, the vision that we have up here, or the image that was there, was uh, presented to us. And uh, we want to go beginning again in chapter 7. We're going to go down to verse 1. I want to reread this once again to make sure we have a good context of where we're at. And understanding the images are going to be so important for us to, to grasp. And we're going to get into this right away. So notice what it says. In the first year of Belteshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his uh, visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and he told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And the four great beasts came upon the sea, diverse one from another. We're going to stop there as we have read already a large portion of this passage already. But I want us to think about what we're about ready to see from our studies today as we go forth. So we want to go ahead and begin our study. And then as we do, we'll get into different passages that we're going to be looking at all along the way. There are fresh notes that are back on the podium, so anybody wants to give notes. And you'll also see in the bulletin that's been handed out to you, uh, behind the prayer sheet will also be some of the slides that I'll be showing today as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, I want to thank you for your blessings. 
And I pray, Father, that you will help us to understand the things that you have given to us today. Again, I do appreciate all your blessings to us. And Lord, I want to thank you for the two sweet messages that I also got to hear the latter part of this weekend uh, with Brother Joe Collins, who is also from Brother John Lybrook. Lord, how that you will continue to bless and provide for them and give us the nourishment and the ministry and everything that we needed together. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you in all things. Bless this season of worship, and may we always give our best unto you. So guide us and bless and direct now, and may we rejoice in you in all things. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, here's what's interesting to me, and, and I wanted to go back and understand the history part of Scripture. Now, a lot of people don't really grasp that if we are to understand every aspect of Scripture, we have to understand the historical points of Scripture. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Daniel 7 is given so we might understand the truth leading up to the birth of Jesus. Now, most unlikely, I want you to get this, is that Daniel lived, you know, around 605 B.C., or what we would call B.C. And so, in that time frame, we are about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. We are seeing all of the different things that he was allowed to have upon his own mindset. Now, we can't be exactly sure uh, what the time is, but again, this is a Hebrew calendar that we're going to be talking about as well. The other thing is, since the beginning of creation, there is history, and few really know this truth, yet all is given as part of God's plan to make us understand, know, and see it. Some may want to be critical of things written, and yet it is undisputable. Now, I, I write that for your understanding. Do you realize that the most criticism that we are going to receive in our faith and our belief as Christians is the Bible in itself? There is no question about where we are at when it comes to God's Word. Now, look at what I'm talking about. In Roman number 1, it says we're going to face the critics. Now, let's be honest with ourselves, and let's be honest with people that are out there. Now, here's the first part of that criticism that occurs. Were people more intelligent now, or were they more intelligent then? Now, what I mean by that is, when we take a look at Adam, Eve, his genealogy, all the way through Noah and the, the flood, there was a persistent knowledge that they had that we don't have. It's amazing to me that something as simple as Stonehenge is still baffling the people. What is Stonehenge? Where did Stonehenge come from? How did they get that to be erected? And yet there's no question about it that they understood how to erect and how to make Stonehenge happen. That was number one. Number two, when we go back in, there was a knowledge of seeing things and they could understand. Let me show you what I'm speaking of here. Let's go back to Psalms chapter 119. If you will, you can hold your place here. Let's go to Psalms chapter 119, or excuse me, chapter 19, not 119. We're going to be there later. And in chapter 19 of the book of Psalms, in verse 1, notice what it says. All right, everybody there, I want you to see this very carefully with me. In verse 1 it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. 
There is no speech nor language which their voice is not heard. Now, I'm going to stop there just for a moment. I want you to look at tonight, when you get an opportunity, I want you to look at the skies. If we have a clear enough sky, if we have, no, if we have just the star patterns out there, I want you to look at the sky and see if you understand it. There was a purpose, I believe, in all the constellations that were there. And I believe the canopy also gave a special hue to those stars so that when they looked up at the, the sky, there was more will of things to come than we even give it credit. When I see Virgo, you know, that's up in the, in the, uh, in the star patterns, there's no reason in the world for me to believe that that is a virgin in its relationship. But when I understand those star patterns, then it makes things a little bit more of an understanding for me to grasp each and every day. There are 12 seasons, or if you will, 12 months out of the year, and every month there's a new star pattern which is going to be predominant over the earth during that time frame. Give me an example. Not too long ago, uh, I was at Greg's, and as I was leaving the house, there were two stars. I mean, those suckers were bright, and they were bright. And I said, I said, I, I stopped and went back inside. And said, Hey, Greg and Carla, you got to see this. And I, I just knew I was looking at UFOs. There was a reddish color to one of them, and I, I looked at it and I said, Look at, look how bright those are. And I said, they're just hanging out in space. I mean, you could look like you could just pluck them out or that they should be moving towards you. Well, I went home, and as I got home, I looked at, you know, right here at the church building. I looked out, and here was those same two stars, clearly visible. And I said, what in the world are those stars? So I went on the Internet, and I looked it up, and it was literally two of our planets, one Jupiter, one Mars. Uh, that was allowing us to see them because they were so bright. And they said at one point they were together, which made a super, supernova, if you will, out in the sky. And isn't it amazing that those two planets gave me something to think about? I mean, I just looked in the sky, and I was really amazed by what I saw. But think about this for a moment. Psalms chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3, give us an indication about what the heavens declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, we don't see or we don't teach the glory of God in the heavens. We have the Word of God in our hands. We're blessed. We are truly blessed. But before Moses penned Genesis chapter 1, all the way through chapter 50, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, before he ever penned any of that, we begin to see a little bit more that it was instilled from generation to generation what was written in the stars. Not only that, imagine standing on the seashore and you could hear the word of God. This is my creation. How many of you all saw in those three verses the word voice? Look at it again. Look at verse 2. Day and day uttereth speech. Do you realize stars. There's a great vastness of the knowledge that's in the sky. There is no speech nor language where there benefit from the things that are written in the sky. There was a, a pre
preacher many years ago, and I, again, I, I failed to remember his name, but he was called God's Smuggler. And he would go in with Bibles and go into a particular communist bloc country with these Bibles and be able to distribute them. Well, he came to this one place and they spoke, and they didn't speak his language and he didn't speak theirs. Finally, it occurred to him and he handed him a Bible of their language and then he flipped over the page and showed him the verse. And from that verse, that man then turned over and looked at his verse, which was, Greetings to you, to you in the name of the Lord. And he read that, and he finally flipped over, and he pointed, and they conversed by what was written in the Bible. How many of us can do that? Do you realize that there was a So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in Deuteronomy, you have probably the last 70 days that Moses is upon the earth. And he gives them instruction on what they should do with their children each and every day. Now understand, Moses has already written the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of this Bible that we hold so precious. But notice what he writes in verse 9. Only take heed to thyself, and to keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thy eyes have seen. Man, have we not seen the blessings of God? How many of us have experienced the blessings of God? Come on, how many of us have this? And if we have really experienced the blessings of God, then should we not convey that to our children? We, we are easy to recognize the evils of this world or to criticize when we've been done wrong. But when we see the blessings and we know that they came from God, we should rehearse it over and over again. Notice again, this is the thing that Moses is pointing out. Think about the things which you have seen. You were in Egypt. You were captives in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. God brought you forth. Yes, you did. But you know, there was a glory in the wilderness they never suffered from hunger. They never suffered from thirst because everywhere they went, God preceded them and God said, I will be a blessing to them. Their shoes did not wear out. Forty years and your shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Forty years and their clothes were still as good as, as always. Everywhere they went, they had the manna, they had the quail, they had the clothing, they had the water. God was so good to those people. And yet he has reminded them, don't forget what you've seen unless they depart from thy heart. Christ is my Lord and Savior. I understood this much. I was not a great theological being. I'm still not. But I understood this much about the glory of God. But teach the things that you've learned to your sons. And to your sons' sons. In other words, to your children and your 
Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's go down to verse 7. And notice what it says. And thou shalt teach them diligently, meaning that I was in striking distance if he disagreed with me. No, I'll, I'll just leave it out there. But think about this. Sometimes around our dinner table we had some of the most interesting Bible studies. Dad would bring up a topic and we would discuss it. Sometimes it would be heated, even in our family. But we learned from that and how powerful it was. So again, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk And when, uh, when thou sittest down in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, I'll tell you what, I learned so much by listening to Dad and other preachers that sat beside him. I learned a lot just by going fishing with my dad and listening to him espouse to me the truth of God's Word. Imagine lying down at night and just whispering a prayer that everyone can hear, Lord, thank you for this day and the blessings that you give. And then when thou risest up, Lord, you've given me a new day, may I walk in you faithfully. One other passage. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. <coughs> Let's go down to verse 19. Once again, notice the illustration where the enforcement of teaching. And you shall teach them your children. Speaking of them when thou saidest, when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That is the same exact words we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Many times we fail to realize the importance of knowing the truth of God's word. Let's go, if you will, back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. And I want to show you something that I have had to learn, and I still struggle with it. Look what it says in verse 4. These are the generations of heavens and of the earth. When they were in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, the word generation in itself means beginning. This is the beginning. And so when you take a look at the beginning, you see how... It says, this is what you can bank on. This is where it can start. Now watch this. Let's go to chapter 5 and go to verse 1. This is the book. Wait a minute. Book? Book? Had you ever thought about this? That there were things that were recorded and kept for everyone to read. I mean, we, we understand that there, the, the scrolls had to be written upon. A lot of times when people think about uh, Noah and his generation, they, they like to turn around and they say, well, you know, Noah, uh, he, he just piecemeal uh, a, a wooden raft together. No, Noah built an ark. And if you ever want to see something amazing, just go either to um, the Creation Museum or go to Noah's Ark. And as you walk in, you begin to see the precision work that was there. I work with a man, and we've all met him one time or another. His name is Jimmy. And I'll tell you what I love about working with Jimmy. He is so precise in his measurements. Whenever we work on something, he, he's, he's particular 
well, sometimes I have to fight myself to say, I just want to get through it. I just want to get it done. I just want to get it over with. Sometimes i got to fight that in myself so that I know that it's going to be right. <clears throat> but think about this for a moment. Moses was not in a hurry. Moses wanted it done right. Moses. Noah wanted it done right. Every scene that was in that art had to be literally sealed in correctly. Every piece of that art, every cage, every stall, everything that was there had to be exactly the way Noah was told to build it. And he did so. But look what else it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. There, I really believe that when Noah went on the ark, one of the things he carried with him was the record. I believe that he kept the record of every little thing that he did. Probably, if you ever go to the Creation Museum, one of the things that really amazed me was here was Noah, and he had a library that he was, you know, with all his calculations and everything to where he built that ark. And I remember looking at that, and I just stood there for a second, and I was thinking about it. We have been instructed that man was just an ignorant sojourner upon the earth. We are led to believe that man lived for about 30 years, and he had to face all the terrors of the beast. Well, the Bible teaches us just the opposite. Do you realize... And I, I'm a, I believe that one of the first flights that ever occurred probably was with Noah on the back of a pterodactyl. I believe that Noah understood flight. I believe Moses and Adam and all the others understood the greatness of God. We still have used beasts of burdens to do remarkable things for us along the time's path. How many of you all remember Barnum and Bailey's Circus? One of the things they did was not only show the people how the elephants could be entertaining, those elephants were also used in labor to help raise the tents, to help make sure that everything was in proper order. Those elephants were put to work. Reality is, is that when we understand a little bit more about God's history, it allows us to appreciate the other things that we see. Now, here's the next one. The next criticism that oftentimes we face is, what about other nations? How many of you have ever heard that criticism? How come the Bible doesn't mention this nation or that nation or the other nation? In fact, the Bible does introduce us to those. Let me show this to you. Let's go, if you will, to the book of Genesis, chapter 10. And I want to show you that all the other generations or all the other nations are already shown to us. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a hint, and then you can see where we're at. Look at verse 1. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These are the generations. These are the generations. In other words, this is the lineage. And unto them were, son, were sons born after the flood. And the sons of Japheth, Gomer, if you want to write it down, Gomer is Germany. That's part of the German people. You also see Magog, which is also a part of southern Germany, if you will. Uh, and you see uh, Medea, and you have Javan, and Tubal. Tubal is Russia. And Meshach is Russia. Matter of fact, the name Meshach can also be interpreted as Moscow. 
and Tyrus, and the sons of Gomer, and it would go on down the line. We can also see the same thing that goes with Cain. If you'll notice in verse 6, and the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. These were the Canaanite people. We also see Put, which is going to be part of Egypt, which is also part of Mizraim, and we can go on down. Matter of fact, let me just point this out to you. What we're going to see in verse 10 allows us to see the other arguments. And of course, we go down to verse 15, uh, or excuse me, let's go on down to where we begin to, yeah, let's go down to verse 15. And Canaan begat, Sidon is firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusite, and so on and so forth. Down to verse 21. Unto Shem also, the father of the children of Eber. Let me pronounce that for you correctly. It's called Eber, or Heber, which is the definitive word of Hebrew. So out of Shem came the Hebrew and the brother of Japheth. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say the brother of Ham, just the brother of Japheth. And I've oftentimes wondered why we see that. Well, the reason that is there is because we would find Ham would go into apostasy, but the, 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 the Hebrew or the uh, Japhethites, as we begin to see them, were not part of that. We're going to get into a little bit more of that here in just a little bit. We can go down to chapter 11, and we see the scattering of the nations. And when I begin to see the scattering of the nations, I begin to think about where we are at and what's it going to do for us. So many times people are, the first question they say is, why haven't we seen the other areas? Well, the reason that we don't see the other areas is twofold. Number one, what is the attention of the Bible? What is the intention of the Bible? The attention of the Bible is going to be focused upon Jerusalem. And I tell people this today. When you look at the world as a whole, think about the billions, the billion population that's in India, the billion population that's in China. America right now is approaching, if we haven't surpassed, uh, 400 million. I don't know how many other people are upon this earth, but we know that there's a great number. Well, the reality is, when we look at every soul that is there, all is upon a little, or is approaching a little tiny village with about 100,000 people, and the land that is called Israel, in a little strip that is known as Jerusalem. And here is where we see the convergence of so many religions. But the two great religions that are fighting right now are the Muslims and the Jewish people. And so as we see this call of, of, of the Jewish people into this land, they are crowding in and they're looking for a place to live. There's right now about 11 million Jews in that little strip of land that's no bigger than New Jersey. The other city of great importance is Babylon. Now, I wondered, why is it that we see so much that comes out of Babylon? And I believe chapter 11 is the reason. Now, let me just point this out to you. We're going to get into that third point as well. How do we know that the Ice Age existed? And then we're going to come back to this. Look what it says in the Ice Age. We see all these people that are being born. And then finally, we see in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, And the whole earth was one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed. Underline that word journeyed. 
they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in Shinar. I began to think about this a little bit and what would cause people to move from where they were at. Now we know that the ark rested upon Mount Ariat. This was the promise that we, we find in scripture and everything is there. But with the ice age came something called cold. <laughs> How many of y'all like cold? How many of you hunker around the fire when you have cold weather outside? So when you had that cold, the people began to migrate away from Mount Ariat, and they were looking for a warmer climate, which they found in the in a place called Shinar. And it was here that they began to place this location in Shinar, a way that they would have a few people that would become a mighty people in one location. Now this is contrary to what God told them to do, and they would fulfill the plan of God. But the reality is, is that I looked at that and I went, this is perfect sense to me about what happened at this location. Now let's go ahead and we'll finish in Genesis chapter 11. And it said, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Let us go to, let us build in fact one of the things that I, I heard brother Joe preach on and I'll present this to you in the next hour Lord's willing was we have to be careful of endorsing anything that might cause our people to stray away from the truth of God's word but every now and then, I will listen to what people say they have in discovery. And high on top of this one mountain ridge, they, they, these people are like, what's this? What's all these stones? What is everything put into place here? What do we have here? And someone pointed out that it looks like it's the footprint of a great temple. Well, that great temple is shown to us in Genesis chapter 11. Look what it says. And a tower whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make a name, lest we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Why do we claim we want to make a name for ourselves? Hold your place here, and let's go to chapter 9 of the same book of Genesis, and let's take a look at what God commanded the children of Israel, or you know, the, the sons of, of Noah when they came off the hand. Notice that when they came off, notice verse 1 of Genesis chapter 9. This was the command of God to Noah and his sons. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. No, don't go settle in one location. Go into the earth. Now, do you realize that there's a lot of people they didn't want to go into the earth? Now, for that reason, notice that they made in statement 4, in chapter 4, or chapter 11, verse 4, and they said, Let us go to build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make a name, lest we should be scattered, which was contrary to the name of God. God had told them to scatter onto the earth. They were not going to do what God commanded them to do. 
Look at this. And the Lord came down to the city and the town which the children of men builded, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will restrain them, uh, be, be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. In other words, their imagination was to go against God. Go to, let us go down, and there confound I speak German a little bit. The word is ambition. If I was to preach to you in German, how many of you would hang around? You wouldn't understand the thing I had to say. Well, as these people were listening, suddenly the Lord confounded their language. I don't know what languages they had. Maybe there was the Egyptian language, which was there. Maybe there was a little bit of the Hebrew language, which was there. Maybe they had a little bit of the Assyrian language or whatever, but the people began to move into the quadrants, but they took their religion with them. And one of the things they took with them was the this tower. Now, how do we know what this tower was? It was called a ziggurat. Do you realize the ziggurat is found in Egypt? The ziggurat is found in India? There's parts of, of, of Europe that we find the ziggurat. It's also found in Japan, or the Orient. It's found in the Americas, the Incas and the, and the Aztecs. How is it that all of this came into place? Because the religion was confounded. Now, I bring all this to you because we have to be prepared for the critics who will say, I don't understand why America's not there. Where's America? Well, is America be a part of Europe? I don't know. Right now we are. It's called NATO. But there are those people right now that are saying that we should be out of NATO. Oh, that may happen. I don't know. America is going to be insignificant. And it's going to be made insignificant, whether by war, by whatever means is going to be possible until everything is focused upon what we see out of the book of Revelation. So when people say, well, I chapter 10 and showing the tribes of, or the sons of Noah and saying, look where these people are. I can also point out America. We are there. We are there. And, you know, whether we, we saw the spreading of the land and that's what caused the separations of the people into the nations, I don't know. I'll give you an example. Why is it that the dark-skinned people are found in, in Australia and they're found in Africa, but everything else is sort of a shaded, shaded coloration? When did that occur? How did that occur? We don't know. When we get to heaven, we can ask God. Do you realize that they have found relics of the Chinese in America's shores on the west coast while we have found the Vikings on the east coast. How did that happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. The reality is we have to be prepared, again as I stated, all the different things that are criticisms out of this book of Daniel. So once again, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to finish up here this morning. And Daniel chapter 7 Notice that 
where Daniel begins to point out is that he was very concerned over the things that he was seeing upon his night bed. Look at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. I want to point this out to you that Daniel is writing this in chapter 7, verse 1. But Belshazzar was, if we go back to chapter 5, we can go back to verse 1 in, in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel and notice who we have. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to the thousands of lords and drank in wine and drank wine before the thousand. Just so that everybody knows, and I would encourage you to read the book of Daniel. I would really encourage you to do so. Because here in this book of Daniel, you begin to see all the things that are leading up to this time frame where we are going to be seeing Daniel questioning the images that he sees in his, in his dreams. And notice that with Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar is already gone. He's already dead. Belshazzar is the king that replaces him. Many people think that it's Nebuchadnezzar II. I don't know. I haven't studied that far. But the reality is, is that he became lifted up with himself and he began to drink wine, so much so that he called for the vessels, the holy vessels that were taken out of Judea, and he began to drink wine from there. And notice again, if we go down to verse 25, what happened. He began to see the image of a man's hand right upon the wall, and here's what the writing stated. And this was the writing that was written, Meeny, meeny, tickle, eupharsin. And so when, when all the others were asked to come in and to interpret what was seen, no one could answer it. They could read it, but they couldn't answer it. Finally, there was a call of Daniel. And I want you to see what happened with Daniel. And in this interpretation, uh, and this is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. It was written twice. Meaning, God has measured your kingdom. When God says it one time, it should be enough. When he says it two times, it's going to happen. I have measured your kingdom, it's enough. Tekel, thou art... and you're going to die. Look at verse uh, 28. Uh, Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Mede Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel. Wait a minute. How many of us have ever thought about why he clothed Daniel in verse 29? Could it have been that he wanted to take the attention off himself and onto Daniel? Because what he clothed him with was royalty colors. Look at verse 29 again. Then commanded Belshazzar and called Daniel with scarlet. That was royalty colors. So when the Mede Persians come into the, the chamber, there would have been Daniel in purple. But isn't it amazing that God does not allow even the craftiest of men to allow it to escape anyone else's attention. And put a chain of gold what kind of golden chain would he have had? Only that which the king would have wore. 
and made, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in all the kingdom. In other words, he is greater still. Daniel was not scheduled to die, and Daniel did not die. Even when Darius, which is chapter 6, when we take a look at uh, the, the decree that came to Darius, and we'll look at that later. But anyway, this was what we are going to be looking at. All right, so the Lord's willing, we're going to pick up next week, and we're going to start looking at the images and see what they're there. I hope we have a good understanding of why we should never be afraid of what critics might say regarding to the end times. So let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your blessings. I pray now that you will guide us and bless. Thank you for all that are here, and I pray that you will lead us and watch over us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed till the next service.